You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. Visit us online at kingswisbeach.org.uk. So, every time we're going to share communion, our teaching sermon will be related to that. And the, the one verse that I'm going to take today is in Hebrews chapter 9. And uh, verse 22, it says, the law, that's the Old Testament law, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. If you've looked at the newsletter, and I'm sorry Verity isn't here so I could make fun of her, um, but if you looked at the newsletter, uh, Verity just took my very short notes and the newsletter says on Sunday, uh, in the communion service we're saying come to the table. So she's headed it, come to the table without the shedding of blood. So... When you have communion, could you not kill each other, please, when you you assemble? Uh, but, But this is a very serious, very serious subject. Everyone in the world knows the mercy of God. Everyone benefits from the mercy of God because the scripture says that he causes his son to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. He provides food. He sustains life. The whole world is beneficial, benefiting from the mercy of God. But this, this text tells us not, that, not only that we would know his mercy, but we would know him. We would come into a relationship with him. The Christian faith says that there is a great chasm, a great gulf between God and mankind. And God has taken the initiative to bridge that gap and bring us into communion, into relationship with him again. And God took the initiative, and as Christians we know he did that by sending his own son, so that we could know God as our father. So it is very serious and essential for life. But I want to begin by talking to you about Walter Gabriel. Somebody knows. And the pop lorry that used to come down our road. And my mother used to buy salt in blocks wrapped in paper. So somebody knows about Walter Gabriel. You know about Walter Gabriel, yes. Pop lorries. Did anybody have pop lorries? You had pop lorries? Yes. The, the Tizer lorry used to come down the road and it was open-sided and inside were all the fizzy drinks and people would go out and buy their fizzy drink from the pop lorry. Um, the first time, we, we, we didn't have it in our family. I, we, we couldn't afford that sort of stuff. We, we were quite poor. I remember the first time I ever tasted Tizer, it was a, a fireworks party. I drank so much I was sick as anything. <laughs> I'd never tasted this before. 
but it, it was a poplar acre. And uh, when I was a child, one of the delights from when mum had done, done some shopping, she would buy salt in a, in a block like that, wrapped in paper. And uh, we, as children, we used to love sc uh, shaving the salt so it could actually be put into smaller containers. That's my childhood, which would be quite alien to some of you. you wouldn't have a, some of you wouldn't have a clue who Walter Gabriel is or the experience of the pop lorry. That is what happens every time we read the scripture. We're entering into another era, into another age, into another culture. There's a very good book uh, which says that, that Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes. And it makes more sense of the Bible because Western society, we're, we're reading about things that just aren't part of our history or our culture. That is certainly true when we come to reading the book of Hebrews. The writer to the Hebrews was writing to the Jews, and they were familiar with the whole Old Testament story and the procedure that God had instituted for people to come into a relationship with him. And if you read chapter 9, when he's writing, he's reading about uh, priests and he's writing about the blood of bulls and all sorts of things. And the people would have known what he's talking about. And he sums up all this teaching from the Old Testament in that one phrase, chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. People would admit, I know what that means. That, that's, that's obvious. There has to be an offering made in blood for us to know forgiveness. If you don't know, let me just say that for the people of Israel, the Jewish people, as they were coming out of Egypt through the promised land and into the, uh, through, through the wilderness and into the promised land, their whole focus of worship was on first a movable tent called a tabernacle. And then when they settled in Jerusalem, it was in the temple of Jerusalem. And the focus of all their worship was the priest taking an animal uh, or some places it could be a bird and taking this creature and seeing it die and placing it on the altar. And sometimes the priest would have to disembowel these animals. And the whole ceremony, there was cascaded in blood. My name's Butcher, if you don't know it. Clive Butcher. But when I, when I say my name, I don't think of abattoirs or the, the butcher chopping the, the meat in the shop. In fact, my, my most recent forefathers, they were carpenters and greengrocers, but obviously somewhere there, there was a, a, a butcher. Um, but I wouldn't want to be a butcher. <laughs> I'm not very good. Well, I wasn't very good with blood, as Jane will testify. She's, um, she's witnessed me quite a few times fainting at the sight of my own blood. Um, and we've got quite some stories about that. Uh, I, I've had so many samples of blood taken now, it, it doesn't bother me. And in the prison work, I, I saw some cells which were absolutely covered in blood and the blood was flowing down the down the corridor and I could cope with it but I'm glad I'm a priest in the New Testament as you are a priest in the New Testament I don't think I would want to be in a priest in the Old Testament and taking this goat and this lamb and this bull and 
cutting its throat and let the blood flow and then taking the fat and taking the organs and seeing them burnt and then their lovely garments must be splattered in blood and I don't <laughs> I don't think I would have wanted to do that and I'm glad I'm not in the Old Testament now but the job of the priest was to take this animal because this was he was operating as a mediator a bridge between sinful man and a holy God and this offering this life poured out was the way to bring the two together and that was the ministry of of the priest and in Leviticus God says that for the people of Israel um, actually your sin is so serious that life is required but I'm going to allow you to take the life of a creature as a substitute for your life so they will take the goat the lamb the bull the bird and that would be a substitutionary offering instead of the people in their sin losing their own life as soon as I mention that, we come up against a problem because our, our, our Christian faith is, is rooted uh, and springs out of the Old Testament where death and sin and offerings of blood were commonplace. But as soon as I mention the word sin, people will say, but people don't recognise sin these days. It's an old-fashioned concept. Um, you know, but... It, it, it comes out of prejudice. When I was thinking about this, can I say something? That, yeah. If you want to know what sin is, become a Christian. Because the Holy Spirit will teach us what is sin. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict people of their sin so they become uh, come to a place of repentance can find forgiveness come into a relationship with God but then as you move on you discover what sin the depth and the range of sin as it really is told the story before I was in uh, open air work when we were when we were training for ministry and there was a little Yorkshireman in the, uh, Elephant and Castle in London megaphone and he's saying um, well people uh, you may think that murder and lying and adultery are sin. Well, I'm here to tell you it isn't. And we're all going, what? <laughs> what he meant to say was, it isn't just those things which have enormous consequences. The Bible talks about lying and uncontrolled anger and spreading false stories and backbiting and cowardice. And if we're honest, we're all aware that in our life, we're not only sinners, but we, <laughs> we have sinned. And the Bible says that that sin has to be dealt with. I can only give you the word of God, which says, the soul that sins shall die. So sin brings death, which is the Genesis story when they could have uh, every blessing and benefit in the Garden of Eden, um, but they were forbidden to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
and they ate of it. And God said, in the day that you decide what is right and wrong, when you are the arbiter of what is acceptable and you don't accept my words in it, in the day that you eat of that, you will die. So let's be clear, in the Garden of Eden, it was not an apple, okay? And having legitimate sexual intercourse is not the sin. The sin was people deciding I will make my own rules and I will decide what is good enough what is right and what is wrong and God said in the day that you do that you will die and that has to be dealt with and that has to be dealt with God can't ignore it else he's unjust he has to do something about it somebody must bear the consequences for that and in the Old Testament a substitute was allowed. You can bring your offering from your own resources, from your own flock, or you would buy an animal or a bird. And you could bring that and present that and say, this, this is instead of my life, I'm offering up this sacrifice. But it says here that without the shedding of blood, why does it, why does it have to involve blood? <laughs> We used to sing in the uh, uh, old, uh, in, in our previous ministry, there, were, there was a, um, a song we used to sing in open, we used to do a lot of open air meeting, and a, a very good tune, but uh, one of the songs says, there is a fountain filled with blood. And I'm often thinking, I wonder what the passing people made of that, this fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's side, and sinners who plunge beneath its flood lose all their guilt and shame. But why does it have to be blood? Because God says... Life is in the blood. Now, God said that well before anybody discovered the circulation of the blood and the, the purpose of the heart. Uh, before, um, be, before the circulation was discovered, people used to think the blood was made from food in your stomach and then the blood was absorbed into your tissues and so then more blood has to be made from the, uh, the, the food in your stomach. That's, uh, and then they discovered actually the circulation of blood and, and its effectiveness and the f blood does five things keeps you alive do you know the blood in your body keeps you alive five things it takes oxygen to every part of your body so if if it doesn't reach your brain you die the blood if you cut yourself it forms a clot and stops you bleeding to death it carries the defences to fight infections in your body. It gets rid of the waste in the blood through the kidneys and the liver. And it controls your temperature. So either you get very hot, you know, you turn red or you, know, you get a bit whiter if you're, cool, if you're too cool. And the blood keeps you alive. Now, God said this before anybody discovered this. They thought it was all other stuff that kept you alive. But God said, life is in the blood. Therefore, the shedding of blood means a life has been given. And God says, instead of your life, you can bring a substitute. 
People have lots of ideas about how to please God. You could pay somebody to pray a lot for you, and that's happened. Uh, you could go on pilgrimages, or you could treat your body very severely, wear sackcloth and cover yourself in ashes and forbid yourself some of the legitimate pleasures of life. Um, you could devise a whole set of laws that you will try and keep so that you're good enough. You can do all that, but you know what God says? All you have to do is find a substitute offering, and I'll accept that instead of you. That doesn't seem fair, doesn't seem logical, but it's not, because it's a free gift. I remember the time uh, when, when we'd left the Salvation Army, we were very poor, uh, we had no home, we had no job. We went to see some friends in Norwich, and just for some mutual benefit, and we came away, this is many years ago, we came away with a cheque of £2,000. We were overwhelmed. We had done nothing to deserve it. It was just their generosity, their kindness, their love, their support for us. And that became the deposit on our house. And then we met in our house and then the church started. When you've had a, an overwhelming gift, aren't, 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 aren't you just say, what's this all about? Well, it's amazing. We sang it. Amazing. It's amazing. That God would say, instead of your life, you can bring an offering of another. That's how it was. That's how it was in all the Old Covenant. But we're not in the Old Covenant, are we? We're in the New Covenant. Then Jesus came. And it's John who says... Behold the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice who takes away the sins of the world. And God was faithful to his own plan of salvation, redemption. He said, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And you've bringing, been bringing these offerings. Now I will give you the gift of my own son. And scripture teaches us that in the counsel of God, from the foundation of the world, in his wisdom, that had already been foreseen and prepared. Jesus, who was slain before the foundation of the world. And Jesus becomes that priest who not brings an offering of another. He brings an offering of himself and lays his own life on the altar of the cross. That's why in this church we, we, don't, we have an ordinary table. We do not have an altar. There is no need for another altar. There is no need for another sacrifice. The blood of Jesus that once offered is sufficient for all. Yesterday, uh, yesterday evening, Fiona and I were watching a live stream from Los Angeles. Jack Hayford, who wrote the song Majesty, um, he, he died in January. And uh, yesterday they had a memorial service, which was live streamed. And we were watching, well, Fiona watched it till half past 11 last night. I'd gone to bed before the end. Um, but they sang one of the songs, Crown Him With Many Crowns. And it says in there, he died that death may die. His death means the end of my death because Jesus offered himself on the altar of the cross. So when he's instituting what we call the Last Supper, he says, 
This is my blood of the new covenant. He's offering his own blood, his own life. And in the Old Testament, it had limited effect. They had to keep doing it, had to keep repeating it, repeating it. And many times, and once a year, there was a day of atonement where all sins were covered. But the priests would have to keep doing that. Now we believe and we know that that single offering of Jesus on the cross is sufficient. And I, I can't get my head around this. How... how pr- How precious, how priceless was the blood of Jesus. How priceless, how beyond calculation was his life. That it was sufficient to pay for the sins of all the world. For every person who has ever lived, who is alive now and will ever live in the future. That one single offering of his life was sufficient for all sin. And if that's true, then it was sufficient for all my sin. There is nothing beyond his grace and forgiveness. That should bring us liberty. That the chains of the past, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, our history, whatever it was, whatever the consequences were for us or for other people, by the blood of Jesus, that is forgiven, cleansed and forgiven. And it becomes effective when we believe it. And we have to choose, do I believe that what God has done in Jesus is sufficient for all my sin? That I don't have to carry that anymore and I don't have to bear the consequences of it myself. Let me conclude by just reassuring you. If I believe that, that one single offering of his life on the cross is sufficient for me. How do I know it works? If I put my trust in that, if I embrace this Christian faith and say, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not die, will not perish, but have everlasting life. How do I know it's true? We know it's true by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. God, in raising Jesus from the dead, said, that is enough. It is finished. It is complete. Once and for all, never to be repeated, never needs repeated. His offering will cover the cost, pay the debt for all sin, for all time. And it's because Jesus was raised from the dead. Because he was the perfect lamb without sin, so death could not hold him. He was the perfect offering. I've only mentioned that one verse. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The blood of Jesus does much more than that. It sanctifies, it makes us holy. It it, it breaks the power of cancelled sin. But that's for another time. What I'm saying this morning as we share in communion, that 
Your forgiveness, our forgiveness, comes only and solely through the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. So as we share in communion, I want us to, that to be a real celebration. So I'm going to invite the musicians to come and sing. And it invites us to uh, come round the table, to gather round the table as we uh, symbolically, but also meaningfully, take this uh, glass of um, grape juice it is that we use here and, and recognise the blood of Jesus forgiven for us. And we'll have a time that uh, it says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We all need forgiveness. We all need cleansing. And we'll participate in that as we share in communion.